Welcome to episode 289 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. This week, we'll be talking about emerging technology, the transformation it brings, and the fear of change that comes with it. Uh, In particular, I'm thinking of a news item that I saw the other week about attacks on driverless cars in Arizona, specifically in a city called Chandler, which is near Phoenix. And the attacks were on the Waymo vehicles, which is the Google spinoff for the driverless cars. And by attacks, John, are these... Um, cyber attacks? Is it um, you know? Is there a DNS attack coming in? What's going on? No, these these, these are strictly um, uh, these these are not cyber. These are strictly offline. Um, you know, this is like slashing of tires, throwing rocks, yelling, um, yelling, you know, yeah, at the, thre- at the driverless car, yeah, uh, <laughs> threatening with um, you know with firearms. So this is strictly analog, like the, uh, the attacks are, are of the old school variety. So there were 21 of these um, attacks reported over the past couple of years. Um, and, and like I said, the, there's a variety of them. So I, I assume, you know, threatening gestures and yelling is one thing. Uh, showing, you know, uh, firearms is a, a much, much different level. And of course, you know, throwing uh, rocks or slashing things is, you know, clearly, clearly a violent uh, attack. Mm-hmm. So far, there's not, you know, none of this has really, you know, entered the legal system, though, in terms of, you know, Google Waymo, in this case, has not been pursuing these, you know, these attacks as, as criminal uh, mischief or, or whatever they would qualify as in the attempts to sort of keep the peace um, and not draw like the kind of attention that, you know, a, a legal proceeding would definitely uh, bring bring in more reporters and more attention and things like that. Yeah. But uh, so let's look at this from a, a couple of different angles because there's something interesting going on in, uh, in Chandler. And I, I think it's it's an inc- interesting microcosm of, uh, you know, what is slowly starting to take shape uh, in the U.S., which is you have this advanced technology, the driverless cars, you know, and fundamentally sort of threatening uh, huge, you know, mammoth change if if the realization of driverless cars really comes into being, you know, whether that's all going to get worked out and along what timelines, I don't know. There's policy, there's insurance, there's all kinds of, you know, ethical questions. Uh, and in fact, there's there's just technological questions uh, that still need to be answered. So this, uh, this world of driverless cars may be a long way away or at least decades away. Yeah. But for the citizens of Chandler, this is uh, the everyday reality. So I love the William Gibson quote that the future is here. It's just unevenly distributed. Sure. And right now it's distributed right on top of Chandler, Arizona. So that being said, I could really see how this could be viewed as an inv- you know a quote invasion, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're a 
I, I don't know, a driver of any kind. Uh, and that's professionally how you, speaking, professionally speaking, yeah. this, this is a threat to your, your way of life potentially. So if you're a taxi driver, a truck driver, uh, delivery driver, a UPS driver, you know, any, any of these bus things, driver. bus driver, right. Any of these things, this is, uh, potentially a, a, a huge problem for you because it replaces something that's perhaps you've been doing for your entire career with a machine. And even worse, they're testing it right on your streets, right? So you're you're at the cutting edge. So what's your response? I mean, sort of fear transforms into anger, transforms into chucking a rock at a, at a Waymo uh, vehicle, I think. So if we look at this as an example of the kinds of reactions that people will have to AI, generally speaking. So clearly we can see the thread of driverless cars, you know, uh, sort of leading to a market disruption of, you know, especially in the U.S. where we love, love, love our cars and our streets and our driving. We're a car culture, unlike any the world has ever seen. Like, you know, the Ford production line sort of started here. We have a driver's culture, mm -hmm. you know, very much in the U.S. You know, there are other countries that have it as well, uh, but but we've we've definitely among the tops. Sure. But let's range a little farther and, and think about all the other industries where AI will start poking its uh, its technological nose into, and you can begin already is yeah, and you can begin to see one kind of reaction, one kind of cultural. Uh, sort of rebellion against the unrelenting uh, technological change that that we're facing now, and and it, I I think it it can be frightening. Um, I think it will be frightening uh, to many. So I don't know what all the takeaways are from this, Dirk. What what was your reaction? Uh, you know, when you read this article, I I thought it was completely fascinating. It was fascinating. A few different things. So one, another factor that is it bears noting is that there was an incident where a driverless car killed a pedestrian in Tempe, Arizona. So that was relatively local to Chandler. So whereas that story for the rest of us popped up in the national news, we read it, expressed some reaction to it and moved on with our lives. In Arizona, this is real people. Um, you know, the, this was a local story. It had name, background attached to it, affiliation with, you know, local organizations that other people had affiliation with. So I, I, I think there's a non-trivial impact of that on people's attitudes in Chandler. Absolutely, there's the socioeconomic fear aspect and encroaching on uh, future jobs. But there's also, you know, these machines are, are killing our people um, aspect that it, it's... I think I think is really contributing to the psychology and, and the passion um, to to varying degrees. I, you know, this really took me back to the Luddites, and you know, we use the the term Luddite without really knowing or, or understanding where it came from. But the the Luddites are, are based on a, an economic uh, workers' movement in the 1810s, so about 200 years ago, and at that time, um, it was it was mainly in textiles that. Automated machines and, and companies with these machines were displacing 
skilled workers. And the reaction to that was for these skilled workers to form groups um, and and be disruptive. And we remember sort of historically the the top layer as well, they were off breaking machines. They did break machines, that's true. They also assaulted, in some cases, killed business owners um, that had the companies that, that you know, were, were doing the cheaper uh, textile work and, and replacing their jobs. The, the Luddite movement was so significant, and it was, it was overlapping with the Napoleonic War, that at one point, the, the English government had more soldiers dealing with domestic Luddite disturbances than they had soldiers dealing with Napoleon and the French army. So the scale of it is staggering. So what we have happening now in Chandler, Arizona, is, is uh, let's call it a minor nuisance, for, for lack of anything better. At the point at which the U.S. Army is having to deploy people en masse, then we'll be dealing with with something that is socially um, at a level similar to the Luddites 200 years ago. So, you know, of course, you know, the, the story is disturbing and people, you know, people behaving in, in such base and ultimately self-destructive ways as slashing tires and throwing rocks is, you know, you don't, you don't feel good about that. But uh, it, it certainly is nothing compared to similar, a very similar context 200 years ago and the sort of very organized much larger scale reaction to approximately similar encroachment. So based on that, I mean, do you think that we're in for increasing uh, unrest around implementation of, of AI? I mean, is this an inevitable clash or is, is it, um, you know, in fits and starts, right? Like what, what are we, what can we anticipate? Can we not anticipate, right? Because uh, are, are there ways that we can mitigate this transformation enough uh, that there is a slow intake, right? So you have your driverless car um, lanes, you have your side of the highway where there's people driving it. And forever, uh, or at least until whatever generation is that thinks that, you know, they don't need to drive cars anymore, you know, uh, that it's those not, two It's not going to be driver choice that drives it. It's going to be money. And how, how do you have everyone having the correct technology in order to safely deploy into a, a mono system? Uh, the, the thing that's going to hold us back isn't that Bob wants to hit the road on his Harley. The thing that's going to hold us back is people can't afford to get the driverless car to participate in the, the grid with everyone else, right? Sure. I mean, there's people will hold on to their cars in New England for a while. And then if you're out uh, in warmer climes, um, you can hold on to your car for, for decades, right? So, uh, you know, the infrastructure or, or like that level of adoption is going to, you know, take a while. Not to mention, you know, simply the, the pricing question as well. Um, Absolutely. But, but yeah, I, I wonder if, you know, given that this is a indication of, you know, things to come, right? If sort of slow rolling uh, emerging technologies in a way that is a little more cautious might be an inevitable policy, right? No, like, it's not going to happen. I mean, look, <laughs> the market is going to drive it to go as fast as it possibly can as long as there's, there's some, you know, capitalist out there who can – get a new vacation home or a new yacht. I mean, it's, it's going to go as fast as that person chooses that it does. I mean, 
The challenge, the difference now compared to the 1810s is that it's much of it is virtual instead of physical. So the Luddites are remembered for destroying machines, but they only destroyed machines because the machines were there. It was a physical thing that they could act upon. People are acting upon the Waymo cars in Chandler, Arizona, because they're there. It's a physical thing. If you want to act on Facebook, and a lot of people are very mad at Facebook, what can you do? You can uninstall it and tweet that you uninstalled it, as long as you haven't raged at Twitter already as well. And then you're on Mastodon or something else that nobody follows. So uh, in the virtual world, there's nothing to act upon. You can uninstall, you cannot buy the stuff, but, you know, um, p- other people are going to buy the stuff unless, you know, the whole, everyone's turning against it, in which case that service will go away, other services will come to replace it. And a lot of the AI-driven change over the next decade, certainly, will not be as physical. It will be more virtual. It will be things that are happening in systems where there's nothing to destroy. There's nothing to attack. Yeah, you can take your laptop and smash it on the ground. You know, congratulations, you're out $2,000 or $500 or whatever the cost of your laptop is. There isn't this external corporate-owned physical thing that we can lash out against. I mean, can we go to their corporate headquarters and start throwing rocks through their windows? Yeah, but that's the fastest path to jail you can possibly imagine. Um, I, I don't know. It's so, so, so from my perspective, it's going to be a question of where are there opportunities to sort of physically act out and against things. And that's where that's where this will show up more. So companies that are more virtual, it just it just won't be explicit because people can't really do anything. But the fact is that these technologies will be disrupting older industries. The people in those industries could it's not like jobs are going away. There's other things that they could be doing and retraining for, but that's not what people want to hear. People want to continue doing what they were doing, what they perceived as safe and and part of their identity. And and those folks are going to continually be frustrated and discouraged, you know, over the next decade as AI and automation are encroaching on our world. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So I think in the in the spirit of transformation and and uh, the, the new year, of course, 2019, we have some big news to share with with all of our listeners. And uh you know we're we're transforming as well. We're changing as well, and our next adventure in in podcasting is going to be called Creative Next, and it's about you know looking forward to uh, uh, AI and 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 automation and thinking about adaptive strategies, ways that you know we might future proof design engineering, writing, researching, business, you know, uh, from, from all of these sort of uh, creative perspectives and really prepare for collaboration with smart machines. Sort of a, a look in a way of sort of positively transforming alongside uh, these new AI tools that will be coming. So we're going to uh, create a next podcast in, in a slightly different fashion. It's going to be interview-based, so each episode we're going to be talking to an innovator about a critical issue related to our creative futures, and we're doing this in six separate seasons, which will be released over the next couple of years, and our first season on learning is going to be debuting on February 19th, 2019. 
So uh, the digital life is transforming into sort of our, our next podcast iteration. And we invite all of you, all of our friends and listeners who have enjoyed the show over these past seven, eight years now yeah. um, to come along with us on this next journey, which really sort of uh, builds on all of the work that we've done here at The Digital Life and sort of the next instantiation, which is Creative Next. So if you're interested in taking this journey with us, please go to creativenext.org and sign up for our mailing list. And we'll be sure to let you know all the whens and wherefores when the first episode drops. And as a special bonus, we've got a uh, prototype first episode out there for you, uh, Creative Next number one that you can sample and uh, listen to and see where we're headed. So we would love it if you join us. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterwards, if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And, of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 289 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.